Let me read to you from God's word this morning. We're picking up on the story of Peter and John having healed the the beautiful gate. I think we may have a little dead spot somewhere. If I'm in a dead spot, just wave me in another direction with you. Is it it like me? You come down and change the batteries if you need to, but I don't think we need to. No, we don't. Let's read from Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. It's just like the enemy, isn't it? We thought we've got a brand new system and everything's working perfectly. And then the prince of the power of the air says, okay, well, let's just try this one for size. So just be praying. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So there we have the story as the Lord wants to unfold it to us. It's very clear that what we have here is something that the Holy Spirit, speaking through Luke, the writer, us to kind of settle with, to, to, to pause and reflect upon. We've been thinking a lot recently about what it means to function in the world of Jesus. Jesus of course, articulated the word of God because, of course, he is the living word. And so we would fully expect that everything about him is revealing who God is. And, of course, Jesus brings an entirely fresh revelation that God is our Father. So Jesus articulates the word and continues to articulate the word through his people. What he began In the first volume, recorded so beautifully for us by Luke, he now continues in the second volume, which is his people doing the work that he had already begun. And so his people articulate his word. Jesus does great works. He does great works of the kingdom, signs and wonders that reveal to us the home that God has prepared for us, gives us a window into heaven gives us a testimony of God's love and grace, of his heart for us. These works of Jesus that caused the people to be amazed and stand in awe were done by him 
and were continued by his disciples in the second volume. And so we see the words and the works of Jesus. And then we, we identify the ways of Jesus. We see the way in which Jesus lived. And particularly over these last few weeks, we've been noting that, that the way of Jesus of retreating into a place of prayer in preparation to engage the world and extend the frontiers of the kingdom was a particular way of Jesus that is clearly expressed in the gospel and then is found repeated over and over again in the second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, as the disciples, leaders, and the people of this first church operate in the ways of Jesus. The works, the ways of Jesus give us access to the world of Jesus. And the world of Jesus is a world that is defined by an open heaven. An open heaven through which the Holy Spirit has descended and has remained upon Jesus. The world of Jesus which is defined by his identity, by his character. And everyone who enters into that world is given his name. They're allowed to enter that world by his grace. They gain access by faith in his blood. Knowing that his work on the cross has cleansed them and has made a way. The work of Jesus is a work that is done once and for all. And if we will receive it, then we can enter into this place with Jesus. Receiving his identity and learning what it means to live out identity. And if we live out that identity, we, we function with the words and the works and the ways of Jesus in the world of Jesus. The world of Jesus that is defined not by the darkness of sin, but by an open way to heaven. Through which all of the benefits of his life, death and resurrection are poured out. Everything that we will receive as a permanent reality is expressed in the world of Jesus right now. There will be no sin in heaven. Here we find forgiveness that is total and complete. In heaven there will be no sickness. Here we discover healing for our bodies and our minds and our relationships. In heaven there will be joy everlasting here. Our joy is unspeakable. There, there will be no strife. Here, we find peace. There, there will be no devil. He will be cast into the fiery lake. Here, we find deliverance under the open heaven in the world of Jesus, identifying with him who has given us his name. And so we cry out, the power of the Spirit, Abba, Father. So all of that is what it is that we see in the life of Peter and John, the early us 
of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But, but mark my words, as we continue through the Acts of the Apostles, it'll be clear that it's not just the first disciples who lived this life of Jesus. It's everyone. They're all taken up into this world that Jesus invites them into. God bless you. Here we have yet another microphone to fit around my ears. Thank you. Is it? Disconnect here. Do that. Well done, brother. Look at that beard of yours. That's so nice. You did, yeah. I could tell. It's a private conversation about beards there. That's okay with everyone. Okay. Oh, golly, I'm going to garrot myself if I do that. Yeah, okay. It's not a word you hear often in church. So here is Peter and John. They are the early exponents of what it means to live in the world of Jesus. And when other people encountered them, they noted some particular things. They noted courage. Did you hear that as we read? They noted courage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Why courage? Well, let's be quite clear. These individuals and collectively this group of people called the Sanhedrin were people who had perpetrated terrible evil. These were, these were people who held the life of the people of God in their hands so they believed. And so when someone came before them, they would be quaking. Remember, Peter and John were witnesses of the power of the Sanhedrin to snuff out a life. Even the Lord of glory, Jesus, in their hands was killed. I don't know what it was like for them in the jail that night. We talked about that a little bit last week. But, but any human being would be sorely put to it. Any human being would be, would be desperately afraid. Because it wouldn't just simply be death. It would be just the horrors of torture that would be available to these people to perpetrate on them. And yet they came out of that jail with courage. Not only courage, but there was a sense of real competence. They were unschooled, ordinary men. And yet, when the report was given to them by the priests and by the guards of what it was that they said, and, and as they saw them speaking so articulately and drawing on themes and, and understandings of the Old Testament scriptures as they spoke before them, it was quite clear that these men had been thoroughly trained. 
not in the schools of the rabbis, but in, but in the discipleship that Jesus had offered them. These were remarkable circumstances. The, the Sanhedrin saw these people and they thought, how the heck did they get to be so good at this? So they saw their competence and they noted the company which they kept. And maybe there's a clue. Where would they get such courage? Where would they develop such competence? Where would you develop courage? Where would you develop competence beyond that of your peers, beyond that of the expected norm, living above a life of mediocrity, which, to be honest with you, most people live with? How would we be courageous Christians? How would we? Be competent Christians. How would we? Would we go to school? They were unschooled. Would we, would we develop some extraordinary skill? These were ordinary people doing extraordinary things. How would we develop the courage to, to be change agents in our workplace, in our school, in our family, in our community? How could we do that? How could ordinary people, not familiar with the issues of leadership, how would they be able to step into the fray? How would people without training be able to advance any cause and change anything? Well, the Sanhedrin paused for a moment. And when they looked at their courage and their competence, they realized it was because of the company they kept. I just have to check every so often. We're not falling asleep. Everybody alive? Okay, good. The company they kept. Because, you see, they knew what it was like to live and immerse themselves in the world of Jesus. Not the world of the world, somehow finding a way to connect with Jesus, but the world of Jesus set at the center of the world, defining by the gravitational properties of the glory of God, defining the world changing lives, people who were drawn, even though they didn't want to be drawn, to the epicenter of God's presence found in the community of believers. Some years ago, I think 2012, the Large Hadron Collider there at CERN on the border between Switzerland and France found something that physicists have been looking for for the better part of 50 years. 
they found the Higgs boson. You see, physicists, both believers and non-believers alike, had looked at the basic frame of the universe as it's understood through empirical science, and they couldn't work out where all the mass had come from. And so a Scottish physicist in the 60s and 70s, along with several others, began to postulate that there must be a field within the universe, which became named after that particular physicist in Edinburgh there, a chap called Higgs. They, they assumed that there must be a field through which particles and waves could, could pass and then increase their mass. And to the, to the uninitiated and to the, the kind of unschooled, non-scientific community, it all sounded like magic. But the scientists were so committed to this that they convinced the governments of Europe to build the largest machine the world's ever built. It's 27 kilometers long, under the ground on the Swiss-French border. And they spent billions of dollars. Some people just said, what the heck? What for? Just in the pursuit of science. But you see, when they achieved their objective, it all seemed, it all seemed so worthwhile. Because now, one of the building blocks of understanding the world that God had made, and let's remember, science within the world that we understand, emerged from believing hearts during the Middle Ages who wanted to understand the world that God had created. It's the very foundation of modern science. People like Sir Isaac Newton, a really, a really committed Christian believer, was one of those early exponents of this desire to understand the world that God had created. And in that same spirit... If not with that same belief, this huge machine was built. And finally, they discovered the Higgs boson. And the way I think of it as a, as a kind of non-scientific type is I think of it as like molasses. If you put a pea through molasses, the pea gets bigger, gets thicker. If a Christian spends time in the presence of Jesus, they get thicker. Not, not that way. <laughs> they get bigger. They become more massive. They have a gravitas. And that gravitas leads to a greater attractiveness, a greater gravitational capacity. You see, the people of Jerusalem found themselves interacting with people who had a greater spiritual mass than they did. And they found it impossible not to be drawn to their company, not to be drawn into their community, 
even though they were afraid of what it was that God might do, they found themselves inexorably drawn towards the people of this new community. And when they spent time there, as their hearts were changed, so it seemed as though their lives too began to emanate and seemed to demonstrate that they had a greater mass than what they had before because people began to look to them for answers to life. Do you hear what I'm saying here? You see, there are some people who spend sufficient time dialing up the presence of Jesus, connecting with others so that the presence of Jesus without connects with the presence of Jesus within because Jesus said, whenever two or three are gathered together, there I'm there in the midst of them. People who spend enough time marinating in the Lord's presence and committing to always meeting together, which is why we're talking about we're going back to church and we understand if you can only be back to church online, but if you can be back here, then come on. Because the difference is measurable. The difference is tangible. The difference will make a difference for you and the people around you. And these unbelieving hearts of the Sanhedrin, they could see it. They could feel it. There was something about these men that was compelling and different. But what was it? My mother made sure that all the kids knew how to do basic things. Interestingly, when Sally raised the kids, I watched mostly. <laughs> when, when Sally raised the kids, she made sure that they could do some similar things as well, like sew on a button, iron a shirt, cook some meals. He made sure that you know five or six meals could be cooked. And um, my, my mother was, was the same. And... Um, she, would, she taught me how to do various different, make an omelette, scramble an egg. Obviously, there's a connection there. And, um, and uh, she said, you know, when you're baking a cake, Mike, and I thought, yeah. She said, when you're baking a cake, she said, you, you've got to remember that it's not really a cake unless... Unless you've got the essential ingredient. And the essential ingredient is an egg. <laughs> Guess who's having omelette for dinner? She says it's, it's the egg that binds it all together. It's the, it's the critical ingredient. It's the critical ingredient. It's, it's the egg that, I mean, really, 
makes the, 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 the cake the cake. You can have lots of other things in it, but unless you've got the egg, it's not really a cake. Do you want this egg? Catch it. It's just as well he has soft hands. Catch. Good job. Well done. Round of applause for our catchers here today. Um, they were hard-boiled, by the way, those two. <laughs> just, just in case I get the email saying, I can't believe that a pastor would... Blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> they understood there was a critical ingredient. And what was that? Just go back and have a look at the text. Because it's tremendously important. I've got egg on my fingers and it won't let the fingerprint work anymore. Verse 8 of chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said... What is it? What is the critical ingredient that mediates the world of Jesus to the world of lost humanity? What is it that that puts together the word and the works and the ways of Jesus? What is it that accounts for the courage and the competence of the early disciples. What is it? What is the critical ingredient? More Bible study, maybe. Maybe a, maybe a seminary education. Maybe, maybe you could try a little harder to be a little more religious. Maybe you could roll that rock of religion up to the hilltop one more time. Striving as you do to be a better person. There's nothing wrong with being a better person. You just need to understand how to be a better person. Now I know what's going on in the hearts and minds of some people right now, there's, there's two big conversations. One is, he's always talking about the Holy Spirit, and I think I've got the Holy Spirit, and I don't think I need any more of it. The, the big operative problem was there, and it rather than him. And then there's this other conversation that's going on, which is, He's right, I do need more of the Holy Spirit, and so I need to be a better person. If I were a better person, then the Holy Spirit would have a better place to work. Yeah? And so, you focus on being a better person in the hope that 
you provide the Holy Spirit with a better place for him to work. Yeah? And that's fine, except that it's sentimental claptrap. Did I say that out loud, or was that me just thinking then for a minute? (laughs) Sentimental claptrap. Or dead religion. Or utter rubbish. I mean, I don't mind what you call it, as long as you understand what it is. It's just rubbish. Because the Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible says exactly the opposite. You're saying in your heart, I need to be a better person, then the Holy Spirit will be able to work better. No. You need more of the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be a better person. Now this is so important that we will say this forever and a day until this lands in our hearts and in our minds. So turn to the person next to you and say, I need the Holy Spirit to be a better person. This is what Paul says. And he is the apostle of the New Testament. And so I'm not going to argue with him. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Have a look. So I say, obviously imbued with the Holy Spirit, authorized by God himself, the most important writer of the New Testament. He didn't have to say that, but he's just saying I. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You see, we've been thinking that if only we could stop ourselves from gratifying the sinful nature, the Holy Spirit would have more opportunity to work in us. And we may even think that that's a really good thing to encourage people to do. But the Bible says the exact opposite. And let's be quite clear. When Paul says walk here, my Bible, the newer translation of the NIV translates the word peripetetai in Greek, which is to walk, as live. Which is kind of unhelpful because it doesn't really give you the picture. The use of the word peripetetai, which is to walk. So I say those who walk by the Spirit. What, what Paul is saying is this. In the old days, when we look at the great examples of faith, Abraham and Sarah. And we think about David and Esther. And we, and we look into the lives of Joshua or Deborah. We look at people who walked with God. They were his friend. They accompanied him and he accompanied them. They walked with him. And when we think about the disciples, the the first followers of Jesus, they followed him. They walked with him. And now that Jesus has returned to heaven and has sent us his spirit as another counselor, as another mentor, as another guide... He says, walk with him. 
And he is the spirit of holiness. And he's the one who will change you from the inside out because you can't change from the outside in. Oh, wretched man that I am, says Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? We can't do it, but he can. And so today, surrender afresh. Do you want more courage? Surrender afresh. Do you want greater competence? Surrender afresh. Do you want other people to recognize that you have been keeping the company of Jesus and by that have a desire to be in his company also? If you want that, then surrender afresh to the critical ingredient in the life of Jesus and in the life of the first disciples. The Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. If it's for you today that you need to surrender afresh, stand with me as I pray. Holy Spirit, we stand in your presence, our hearts open, our minds receptive, our lives, Lord, available. We surrender afresh to you today, and Lord, we pray that you'd give us greater courage to step into the fray. We pray, Lord, today you would increase our competence in the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that as you work in us more fully, that we would be conscious of the presence of the Savior more and more. And may, Lord, others be aware of his presence because they're aware of our presence. And may it be, Holy Spirit, that you train our hearts to look for you and to long for you every moment of the day. And we pray it for the glory and according to the character and identity of Jesus and all God's people say.